thank you, Lord, that we belong to you, that you've adopted us into your family, and there's so much opportunity and joy and blessing that comes from that. We pray that we be ever mindful of what it means to be engrafted into your family, to be adopted, to be chosen, to be wanted, that together you've called us to be your people. And we pray that your life and your light and your love would be expressed us through us in beautiful ways in the days ahead. Can we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? And if you don't know those words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I'd like to ask for permission for this week and next that you'd, you would open your hearts and open your minds because um, this is challenging stuff. Uh, after the first service, someone who was behind the walls came in and said, oh, brother, what in the world was going on? Because the words are strong. This week and next are very difficult, strong words from Peter to the church. So I'm asking this morning, could you, could you give me some space to push? Because I'm going to go after some pretty deeply rooted convictions that we carry. May I say with all respect, some of them are really, really off. I'm going to talk about submission today. Subversive submission. Next week, we're going to talk about suffering. So these are really, really deep, deep ideas, but it's part of living in exile. So, can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And then just, just a quick, as Jenny's been inviting us to have a fa quick family thank you. Last week, Sunday, I asked for 14 people to join me in the children's ministries, and 14 people said yes. So, can I just say thank you for those who have said yes? And next year, if I ask you, would you say yes, too? So, we want to celebrate that. Thank you. And then just be mindful in the bulletin, we have a whole number of families who've lost loved ones again. Just Bobette and Tim and Jason and Tara in the death of their uh, father and grandfather. Tim and Dawn, Mike and Agatha, Gary and Karina in the death of their mother, sister, mother, aunt, Nellie Fee. And Dan and Doreen Kreinbrink, Stephen Deb, Lindsay, Josh, Heather, Stephen, Eric, and Patrick and their families in the death of father and grandfather. So please be mindful of these loved ones who've lost Someone, people very dear to them. In fact, let me just pray for them. Lord, we continue to pray for your grace and your goodness to be with those who are mourning, even as they celebrate the goodness of the resurrection. So we pray your blessing. We pray for resurrection hope. We pray for peace. And we pray for your kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me start. So, deep water today. So let me start with uh, a little bit of conversation about exile. And so people have been saying to me, keep telling us how we are living in a different time, a different space. So for our guests, I've been suggesting that uh, we are now in what's called post-Christendom. The things that kind of organized Western culture for 17 centuries are over. And we're moving into a new time, a new space. And there are different ways to understand life, and that's be part of us. 
I'm going to read two relatively long paragraphs. You'll forgive me. But this is important. This, these are written, these words are those of Jaron Lanier. Let me explain who he is. He is the architect of the web and uh, 2.0. So he helped design the world in which we live. Listen to his words. This affirmation of technology necessarily implies a no to a digital landscape that makes virtual development impossible. Lanier points out the world we see when we log into our social media platform of choice is one that has been completely customized by algorithms that privilege impressions over everything else. Unsurprisingly, that which generates the most impressions are bits of data that either align with our hyper-individualized preferences or are radically opposed to our preconceptions. Making matters worse, advertising dollars amplify the polarization, which means, which means that Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all those, listen now, have sold your eyeballs millions of times over to corporations more than willing to show you only posts that either reinforce what you already believe or which show you the exact opposite. In that end, what emerges is a fully customized and highly partisan view of the world to which no other person has access. No one can see the other person's feeds. So if the cultivation of empathy, how we relate to each other, begins and ends with our ability to see the world through someone else's eyes, then people of faith need to radically rethink how we use social networks. Because social networks make empathetic responses, human gestures, almost impossible. This is the man who, architect of the web. But let me give you the next one. The next one, just, I didn't know this. We don't need to look in the future to see vision playing itself out. Social media is already inclined to two new words, excarnation and disembodiment. Incarnation is when your body interacts with another body. Excarnation is when no bodies interact. Disembodiment means bodies do not interact with each other, touch each other. They are just lacking embodiment. So it's far worse than what we understand. In many instances, when we use our social media, we are not actually interacting with other human people at all. Listen to this sentence. We are interacting with armies of digital robots masquerading as human beings. It's undermining the truth of how we live. So leaving aside the explicitly fake people like Alexa, Cortana, and Siri, you might say, I've never interacted with a fake person online. But the architect of the web says, yes, you have. You decide to buy something because it has a lot of good reviews. Most of those reviews were written by robots. You found a doctor by searching using a search engine. But the reason the doctor showed up high in the search result was that a whole bunch of robots linked you to her office. You look at a video or read a story because so many other people have, 
but most of the people you are referencing are fake. You become aware of treats because they were retreated first by an army of bots. This is a difficult thing to accept because of the important social perception. It is true at least to a small degree that we are living fake lives. Your use of media makes you partially fake. It's a different world we're living in. So how do Christians live in a different world? So remember now I'm talking about we live on the margins and I'm suggesting it's a great thing. We want to flourish. Today you're going to start to see how, but I'm going to say a swear word. So I'm going to swear, I'm going to spell the swear word. S-U-B-M-I-T. What Peter's going to say as exiles We need to be subversive in how we submit. How we submit to the government, to our employers, and to the people we live with. And if we are subversively submissive, we will actually be used to bring the goodness of the kingdom of God into people's lives subversively submissive. So I, I need you to give me a little grace because we're going to read the words and I, and I know, I know red flags are going to go off. You ready? First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. And 11 and 12 are the key. This is the setup for all the rest. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that's the greater culture, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds in society, in government, in work, and at home, and glorify God on the day he visits us. So that last phrase, they may see your good deeds... And glorify God. So what are they going to see? Look up, please. This is the key. You got to get this now. Here's the key. They can see. The culture can see how we live is different. And what they see in this submissive, subversively submissive way of living is going to help them come to faith in Jesus on the day Christ returns. So that's where, that, that's the, the whole next series of verses are all going to come back to these two. So what happens if we live these subversively submissive lives? People see something different. And they are drawn to have a relationship with Jesus. So let's see how it happens. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, And to commend those who do right. For it is God's will, look at the next phrase, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So look at your last, verse 12. 
It says, see your good deeds and glorify God. Verse 17, how? Show proper respect to everyone. Love to will the good of the other. Love the family of believers. Fear God, reverence God, honor the emperor. Now, slaves. So look up for a second. At any time, one-third to one-half of the Roman Empire were slaves. Now, slavery carried many levels of, of connection. It could be very horribly degrading, horrible kinds of slavery. It could be household employees. It could be people who work in businesses. People could be freed from slavery. Others were not. It's a wide, wide spectrum. But it's one-third to one-half of the Roman Empire. Slaves in reverent fear of God. Look at this now. Submit yourselves to your masters or employers. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, verse 15 for it is God's will by doing good that you silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 17. But if you suffer for... Do, 21, I'm sorry. But if you suffer for doing good, you endure it. This is commendable before God. To this you were called... Now, now, now from 21 to 25, the whole story now is going to be about Jesus. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Look at the next phrase. Leaving you... This is plural you as an example that we should follow in his steps. So here's an example from Isaiah 53. Jesus committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now we're talking about living in society, dealing with government. When they, the government, hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, purpose clause, so that, here's why, we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Isaiah 53, by his wounds you've been healed. For you, this is plural, were like sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul, of your, of your souls. So now we're going to go to families. Wives, in the same way. Same way refers to what? Verse 12. Live such good lives among pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Wives, in the same way, submit to yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of their lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, called him her Lord. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the physically weaker partner and as heirs with you in the, in the gracious gift of life. Why? Men, watch this. Why? So that nothing will hinder or block your prayers. People of God, these are the words of God. 
So slide five real quick. So what we're looking at here is, is a couple of specific things. So what, what is this submersive submission we're talking about? It is backwards of what people understand. So if in a slave culture, where one-third to one-half of us are indentured to someone, we're asked not to, to speak ill, to, to denigrate, to be angry at our employer, but we are asked to do our best, to do our best, so that somehow, someway, by our behavior and our attitude and our work, we might point gospel seeds into the lives of those for whom we work. And then it goes to, to what? We move, next slide, please. The next one, he goes into the employment. Government, employment. I, I'm going to go past government real quick. I'm going to go to employment. I'm going to go to marriage. Employment, I just described it real quickly. You want to live differently, work differently at your work so that people see you're different. Now, now watch this. If we're living on the margins, if we're living as the margins as Christian people, when something happens in the workplace that you find difficult, that you resent, that you don't approve of, that violates your Christian convictions, how will you respond? What does subversive submission look like? And may I say this very carefully? We don't have too many good examples of this. If our employee doesn't do something that we like, what often happens? Emails start to fly. Anonymous things start to get posted. Things go to the media. It all blows out and out there away. But what is St. Peter saying to us? At workplaces, you have to choose to work differently. Let me, let me go into marriage and I'll come back tied together. This is the crazy thing. In this day, in a patriarchal culture, man, woman, in that culture, whatever religion of the man was, it was expected to be the religion of the woman. What does Peter say? Husband, wives, submit to your husbands. You're, you're Christian. Women, you're Christians. Submit to your non-Christian husband. Why? So you can win him over. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. And then it goes to the men. Men, in the same way, treat your wives with respect. No, this is Roman culture. Women are chattel. No, you don't have to do that. So what St. Peter's saying, in every scope of life, it's upside down. When it comes to the government, you respect. Who's, respect the emperor. Who's the emperor? Nero. What's Nero doing? He's taking Christians, paling them, lighting them on fire, and having orgies. Respect the emperor. You're nuts. No. Employers. I'm a slave. Employer. Submit to my employer. No, I'm a stinking slave. I hate my employer. Wives, submit to your husbands. No, I'm not going to submit. He's a jerk. Wives, love your husbands. No, she always disrespects me. The whole thing is up. Do you see how subversive this is? In every sphere of life, the followers of Jesus are asked to be different. And he uses multiple times. They see your good deeds. Woo. Just like last service. <laughs> All right, let's stop a second. Let's, let's take a pulse. What are you thinking? You don't have to agree with me, just what are you thinking? Help people? Lane. I think we're being invited to be culture makers. When you, when you create a culture that has... Um, that isn't 
over the top. It, when you're submissive, something mysterious happens. I guess that's what I want to say. There's a mystery in this. We don't think it's true, but if we try it, something different happens. Something, Lane is saying, something mysterious and different happens. Give me the last slide, Jim. Thank you, Lane. Here we go. An exile live holy. To be holy is to be loving. Subversive, opposite the culture, and submissive lives, submit to one another, reverence for Christ, a culture can be positively influenced. That's what he just said. So how did, how did this ragtag group of slaves change the world? For three centuries, what did they do? They were subversively submissive. They were a holy people, a loving people. You want to leave your baby out in the, in the, your baby girl out in the woods because you don't want a baby girl? The Christian said, we'll adopt baby girls and we will raise the baby girls as part of our church family. They will eat with us. We'll adopt them. There was no child care. There was no, no care for the senior saints. There were no people who were dying of diseases. What did the Christians say? We'll take care of them. We'll walk with them. We'll love them. A holy, loving, subversive, doing things opposite the culture, submitting to one another and to Christ, changed the world. And for three centuries, the gospel of Jesus Christ, whew, until Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire. And then it quit. Ineffective. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, the question is, so, so for those of you who are Democrats, how do you feel about President Trump? For those Republicans, how do you feel about President Obama? How, what does the text say? How about your employer? What if your boss does something, your, your, your company does things you just don't approve of, you don't like? What's your response? How about in your home? The people you live with, college students, with roommates. What, what, what do we see? Are we living holy lives? Loving? Loving lives? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't believe truth. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is the posture of our hearts and how we live with each other and the culture speaks volumes. Please hear this. It will not do any good to stand on street corners, hold up signs, and say, are you all going to hell? If it ever was effective, it ain't now. But if we will love and serve like Jesus. Now notice chapter 2, 21, 21, look, look at chapter 2, 21 through 25, real quick. Look at this. He takes the example of Jesus. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. So what's he talking about? He's talking about submission to authorities, to others, to culture, live an example that you leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. So what does he say to us? We're to imitate him. He committed no sin. Now we will sin, but can we sin less? And no deceit was found in his mouth. Can we not slander, talk ill, post evil things, post bad things, post diminishing things? 
I'm in, having conversations with friends who are in the LGBTQ community, and one of the things I'm talking to them about is my language. How do I speak effectively, rightfully, carefully, honorably? Not just, 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 just to say stuff. There'd be no deceit in our mouths. So when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, look at now, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So back to the first week of this whole series. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 21. There's that word hope. It is what is to come. What is to come. What is to come. One day it will all be right. So we have to live with that long view. In light of the long view, if I suffer for Christ, what, he's, what Peter's saying is, be grateful because Christ suffered for you. Let me push. Why do we think our lives should be different than Jesus? Can, can, I, can I ask? I'm not, being, I'm not being silly here. Why do we think how our life is should be different than Christ? Right? Help me. Why do I think my life should be easy and just fun and just um, whatever I want, whenever I want it, with whomever I want, whatever it is. Just, I, just want, I just want to have a nice life. How did Jesus live among us? He loved. He gave himself. He blessed. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm saying. He loved parties. He was called a drunk and a pot wine bibber. You gotta go to parties to do what call that stuff. He hung out with prostitutes. Well, I'm not sure I'd suggest you go there, but you know, he, Jesus had a good time too. But, 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 who was our Savior? How did he live? Why do we think we need to live differently? So, I think I want to have a nice life. I want to have a lot of money and I retire. I want all my kids to do great. I want to have wonderful daughters-in-law. My grandkids love me. And I'm going to die of a heart attack. We've done in a second. Well, how's my life turned out? How's yours? Why do we think our lives should be different than Christ? We are Christians, little Christ. How he lived, we are to live. Brothers and sisters, hear me now. You are the only Bible that most people are going to read. You're it. So what are they reading? So, the, so what we're talking about here, what Peter's talking about is we want to be so imitative of Jesus that people see us, they think, well, that's what Christ is like. That's what the kingdom is like. And as we talk about what is to come, all things will be made right. That makes sense. That's what I want. It is crazy to me. It is just nuts to me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to veer over here. And, and I, you, we all know this, but let me just say one more time. Our social media is being so manipulative. It is so coercive. It is so negative. It is so materialistic. It is so narcissistic. It is so materialistic. And we're just, like my example, the sheep, you follow the sheep, the butt of the sheep ahead of you. And we're all going off cliffs. We think this is the way it's supposed to be. I just go nuts at night thinking about this. Sure. I just, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We have to live in this culture. But you've got to live in this culture connected with Jesus in the power of his spirit, mindful of his words, with brothers and sisters who will be subversively holy and submissive with you. We can change a culture.
because it's already happened. And the good news is we win. Wait till next week. Wait till next week. We're going to talk about suffering next week. And at the end of the passage, it's we win. Everything's going to be right someday. So this is where we enter in. So, oh boy. Number seven, slide seven. Thanks, Jim. This is what I'm, this, this is what I'm trying to say. When exiles live holy, get again, holy is to be loving. To be loving. To, and it's not slurpy stuff. It's to will the good of the other. When we understand we are on the margins and we're invited to be loving, holy people. When we choose to say we will respect those in authority over us, make sure you vote in a couple weeks. Respect those in authority over us. We will respect our employers and fellow employees. And we will love and honor and submit the people we live with in our home. And Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus, should we pay taxes? He paid taxes. Peter, just, isn't this a fun story? Je Jesus, do you pay taxes? Peter, go to the lake and find a fish. Catch the fish, and there'll be money inside the fish that pays your taxes. Wouldn't that be fun? Jesus paid his taxes. When Jesus was being beaten, destroyed, humiliated by the authorities, he didn't damn them. He didn't curse them. When his brothers, all men at this time, were calling, trying to call down fire from heaven to kill all the heathens, what did he say to them? When his brothers all ran and left him, and all that were left was a few women in a culture where men were elevated, what was his response? Our attitudes, our actions, our words are to be like Jesus. So how we live is the Bible that a post Christendom culture is reading. Brothers and sisters, we can help change a culture. But may I push? We are going to have to change. We're going to have to make decisions to become more like Jesus. And it doesn't just come because, just fill me with your Holy Ghost now. No, we're going to have to train in righteousness. People of word and spirit. People who learn and choose to forgive. People who are generous and kind. People who turn the other cheek. People who bless and do not curse. And as we do that, as we stand on the margins, St. Peter writes, the culture will notice and people will respond. And people will become followers, disciples of Jesus because of how we have lived. We say this again. We are not pigs, horses, or cows. You got a brain. You live between your ears. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Practice word and spirit 
ask to become more like Jesus and then impact the culture. And people are going to say to us, although they don't understand, at some point, why are you the way you are? And at that point, don't say anything. Just point. Do you hear what I'm saying? Next week, we're going to go down one more level because so much of this idea of being a submersive, subversive, submissive person is located in the midst of suffering. But you got to hear this, folks. Suffering is for a purpose. Chapter 1, verse 7. Our sufferings are developing faith. I can tell you, having lost Kirk yesterday, we had a beautiful wedding for Stephen Vanderwerk and uh, Caitlin Mock. Here stood all the best men, and the last one would have been Kirk. All buddies, played high school football together, great friends. And they and I sat back in that corner, and we just wept because Kirk was not in that group. But we have hope. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that all things will be made right. We believe that the kingdom is coming in all its fullness. And because we believe that, we could celebrate with Stephen and Caitlin because we're celebrating Jesus and Kirk. I can look around this room and I can give you story after story after story of people in this space who have walked through the valleys of the shadow of death. People have gone through enormous hurt, pain, abuse, and loss. I can go, I could just go right across this room. I can name person after person after person. And yet in the midst of that hardness, what I'm seeing is there's a growing community of love. There's a growing community of people expressing faith. There's a growing community of people who have hope for the future. And I think God wants to use us in ways we don't even know yet to help change a culture in honor of Jesus. Is that a fair assumption I'm making with us? So may the words of our mouths, Lord, meditations of our hearts, and the actions of our lives bring glory and honor and praise to you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that that would be true. That somehow, some way, you would work in us and through us. I pray that we would increasingly become more like you. And give us a great joy and a great belief that this is possible. This is not a dour, crummy, crabby, terrible thing. You want to give us life and give it to us in abundance. You want to grow in us the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You want to pour out good gifts among us that we can love and serve and bless a region and who knows, even a world. You want to use us for your glory and you want to partner with your children, the ones you love. Lord, we have 10,000 reasons to praise you, to bless you and honor you. We elevate your name. We celebrate your goodness. And with the church through the ages, we say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.